This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding, and I'm joined again with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Good to see you again. You too. Uh, we're going to get right into the topic in a moment. Uh, before we do that, just want to say thank you to those who have supported the ministry in all kinds of different ways. Really excited about the future. You can go to practicalshepherding.com and see all the content and things that we offer there. Uh, one of the things I do want to flag for you is that our new cohort that will start again next year in January, the applications are open for that. So if you go to the, the cohort page of the website, um, it's a free 40-week curriculum that we take. We do one week or one hour a week of video training. It's live on Zoom, and this is going to be the third year we've been doing it. And you can only get into it in the next two or three months, and then we close it uh, until the following year. So if you're interested, go to the website and uh, fill out an application. You have to be accepted into it. It is free, but you do have to apply and be accepted into it. And so uh, feel free to go there as well as any other resources on the website that we can contact us if we have any way we can serve you or help you. That is also the best way to, to reach us, including letting us know things you want us to talk about on this podcast, which is... Uh, what many of you wrote in and told us about yesterday before we started recording. And so we're going to tackle some of these topics in the next few weeks that you have asked us to, to tackle, including today, Jim. This is one we actually have been batting around, one that is important, but one that ironically gets put on the back burner, and including in our own, including our own process to get to it, as we're getting to right now. And that is, how does a church commit themselves to be just cultivating a culture of prayer more so in the church with one another in the public gathering uh, we would both agree let's go ahead and put our cards on the table you and I both have concerns about just the modern church and how little prayer seems to be uh, a, a, one of the main focus points of the church life in the church, uh, public gatherings and all those kinds of things. So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, something that I've known Jim a long time. It's something that Jim uh, really has challenged me in, and I know Jim is passionate about and, and has really excellent wisdom around not letting this slide in churches, but this to be a central part of the, the life of the church, which it indeed is in their church. So Jim, would you maybe set this up biblically for us as we're, we're kind of have this conversation? Brian, I'll try to do that in really a short order because there's so much the Bible has to say about God's people and prayer. Uh, one of the texts we were talking about just in prep is Second Chronicles seven fourteen, which is a text that I think is often abused in, in certain ministries because it's it talks about America and uh, and uh, it's applied simply nationally. But it was a text given to God's people, uh, and the background is that Solomon has dedicated the temple, and he had in his prayer in the temple laid out a scenario of the possibility of God's people backsliding and judgment coming. And God responds to that, and that's the text that says, if my people who are called by my name, so it's talking to the people of God. Right, right. Well, and then he gives this humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then he says, and turn from their wicked ways. But three of those things, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, is really a repetition of saying the same thing. And that is that their, their sin has been rooted in this sense of independence. And Jeremiah addresses this very passionately in Jeremiah chapter 17, and this is the, 
The text is quoted a lot by preachers where the, the heart of man is desperately wicked and who can know it. But it's in this context, Brian, where the Lord says, in just as Jeremiah 17, 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. And then he describes what that really is behind that, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And he then goes on to describe that he'll be like a, a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. A lot of this like imagery you see in Psalm 1. It's not anxious in the year of drought, and nor does it cease to bear fruit. And then he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? That deceit is in regard to trusting self rather than trusting the Lord. Mm. It's the contrast between prayerlessness and, and being a people who seek God. Now, what, the recognition here is that some people don't even recognize that that's what they're doing. Right, right. That's the deceit of the heart. Mm. And then he says, the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And what he means by that is, I'm going to bless a people who are trusting in me, and but a people that are self-satisfied and looking to themselves, who never take the time to say thank you, who never are desperate to have my presence among you, who are content with present levels of attainment, of spirituality, growth. I've seen enough people converted. We have enough impact. We have enough money. Whatever the case is that causes a people to be prayerless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jesus taught his people to pray communal prayers. And the the Lord's prayer is a communal prayer. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. It's God's people praying together. Uh, the book of Acts, and we you could work your way through. I don't need to do the homework for the men, but, but I encourage brothers, go through and see the church being called to prayer. It's one of the things that marked the life of the church. They committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's one of the yeah. things that they were committed to. Right. And Brian, you know, I'm old enough, and you're old enough to know that there was a time when there was time set aside in the worship and then outside of the gathered worship, usually sometimes on a midweek where the church had a prayer meeting, a time simply, ostensibly, to seek God's face. And I think a lot of those were poorly run and and it wasn't real prayer, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But we're the generation that left off prayer meeting, and so very few churches have a time, and even if they have a so-called prayer meeting, a lot of it is 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 Bible study, and a lot of it is just taking prayer requests about emergency matters or temporal concerns right. rather than a people learning to pray as the Bible teaches us to pray. And that's a burden I have. I've a, I, I think we have seen a lot of the parched places. I think we, we're experiencing a lot of desert land, and we're desperate to figure it out, and often we try to figure it out with a program or something rather than saying, brethren, we need to we need to call God's people to pray. We need to be a people who know God and who seek God's face in prayer. So that's that's a passionate burden that I have. So just to be clear, so that really popular passage that so many people quote, it's not written to America. 
It's uh, it's not just a Fourth of July passage. You sure? I I'm pretty All right. sure. Okay, just just for clarification. No, but I, even if it were Brian, <laughs> what we get out of that, what we get out of that is we want our land healed, right? And we want to be His people called by His name, but then we don't follow the fourfold formula that's yeah. laid out. Well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm I'm bringing that up. No, obviously, I, I, I know. Well, uh, hey, I I looked up up on sermon audio. I can't tell you how many sermons on that passage have the word America in them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, that, I just want to throw that out. I, I assume most listeners are going to make that connection. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> but I am acknowledging it as, you know, a, some of the there's different kinds of promises that are given to Israel yes. in the Old Testament through some significant events like you're talking about. I mean, the dedication of the Temple of Solomon and those different kinds of things. Or you know, promises God gives to Israel while they're in the heart of the darkness of exile, mm. you know, and and we as and we as Americans kind of take that and and make it a totally different meaning in exactly. a way. Exactly. So I, I, we want to just recognize that that particular not only is is that direct context obviously to the nation of Israel, but to your point, it's 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 calling people to humble themselves and to to pray. And and the lack of that in so many of our churches is is something that a lot of pastors I think need to start to address. Brian, I have found in visiting churches. I don't mean to be overly critical, but I know I'm not alone in this. Um, other other good brothers have written and spoken to this about the dearth of prayer in in the public gathering. Yeah, and there are even times when it's often done by a worship leader as he's transitioning from one song to another. And sometimes you don't even—they don't even even say something like "let's pray" and "let's seek the face of God." They just start talking, and you realize, oh, he's praying, and yeah. and it's all—and then you can't seemingly pray today without uh, some kind of musical background. Yep. And so when the pastor prays, I got to play the piano. This is a yep. pet peeve of mine. Uh, and uh, <laughs> but it's almost like you can't pray without a soundtrack. Prayer's too boring. Uh, we've got to have some way to spice it up and touch people's emotions because we can't just be a desperate people uh, looking and, and, and seeking the face of God and wanting God and wanting God's blessing and wanting God's mercy and wanting to see God's power uh, in our lives. You know, when Paul wanted to see power in people's lives, when he wanted people to know the love of Christ that passes understanding, and when he wanted them to be filled with the fullness of God, he prayed about it. He didn't just preach sermons about it. He didn't yeah. just talk about it. He prayed about it, and he wanted God to do these things. And so uh, I just, if I've ever done anything in any of these podcasts, the dozens and dozens of podcasts, to say to guys, hey, guys, you need to pay attention to this, and I and I would even say, to ignore this and to continue to ignore this, that you're in sin, that biblical churches, churches called according to Christ order or churches that are marked, you know, my, my house shall be a house of not just preaching, prayer, Yeah, Jesus said. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll say, I'm a musician, so I will... I will be the one on this to say I don't have a problem with the music underneath prayers. But here's what I have do have a problem with that a lot of times is connected to what you're talking about. And I think it's part of the the frustration that you that you share with that. Oftentimes when prayer is done, you know, you have a you have some kind of musical, you know, at least an instrument playing underneath it. It, ha- it happens at this moment in the service. Prayer is considered a transition. 
right, to the next right, thing. Exactly right. It, it's not its own entity in that moment. Like you're, and and that's kind of what I hear you're saying. In that, and by the way, I'm I'm not one to advocate to have music under. Pr- I'm not against it. I think as much as you are, but I, but we, I typically don't have music under prayers for the for the record. But I don't have as much of a problem with it. What I have a problem with is when prayer becomes the transition to either. Get somebody in place yep. on this get the platform, band back on the stage. or to do this, like to have a moment where you're just like just praying. In the same way, I would say the same thing. By the way, about scripture readings, that that scripture readings can, a lot of times can just be this this transition to the next song. Right, and and we advocate, I advocate in a big way at our church and 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 anybody for that matter. Like the the public reading of scripture, Paul clearly says to Timothy needs to be done. And that it's its own entity, like God's word being read publicly Absolutely. in the ears. God's spirit works in its own unique way when that happens, and and it doesn't need anything else to, to help it. So I think that's what we want to we want to put our cards on the table and push a bit on this issue. But I think both of us do, though. Though I think you and I have our own nuances around it. Sure. And and to call people to say, look, what need we need to lead our churches in as pastors is is that our. our our churches are a place of prayer. That yes. that we and not only that, and this leads to the next implication of it that we need to talk about. It then teaches your people how to pray. Absolutely. So if you don't pray as part of the cultivating a centered part of your church life, you don't teach your people how to pray. If you don't pray a a, a take time to fervently pray uh, with you know giving time to it in the service. We're not showing our people how to then pray at home with their families and how to pray to God personally and all those kinds of things. And Brian, you you had said something, and I want to go ahead and and, uh, touch on this if you're okay talking about it, is that very often when we have been with in a situation of where pastors are, and not just pastors, but people as well, is that prayer is just another form of preaching to the people that are are there. And and, uh, in, in... and how to have it? How do you know? How do you, so how do you know that you're not doing that, or how do you avoid that, so that what you're really doing, like re, rehashing your your sermon in your prayer? Yeah, Lord, thank you for the five points of my pr- of my sermon, and particularly that really good illustration I made about this, in, in in saying, Lord, and this gets back to what Paul did. I have labored. I've labored in the Word, and Paul's prayer life was a recognition. That it's, I want to be careful how I say this, it's not enough simply to give the word. It is then, God, you take that and you drive it deep. You continue to work uh, in that. And so it's not over when it's over. The sermon's not over when it's over. As we've given that that word, now we need, we don't have access to people's consciences. We don't have access to their hearts. We don't have access to their thought life throughout the week, but the Holy Spirit does. Mm-hmm. And we're asking God to take that and to use that part of what we do. But in, in corporate prayer, uh, leading the church in adoration, uh, leading the church to... How much, how much a prayer in the scriptures is exaltation and praise? How much of it is forming what our desires are and, and what they ought to be? And I would encourage in this that you do a study on, on Paul's prayers in the New Testament and, and to see what did he pray about. Yeah. And it wasn't just about help us have enough funds for our new building and uh, you know, Lord, several several of us are sick during this time, and the kids are going off to school. I'm not saying you can't pray about that, 
But Paul was praying about things like that they would know the love of Christ that passes understanding, that they would be filled with his will, that they would come to know him, that they would walk worthy of him, that they would understand the dynamics of their salvation, that those things, those more kingdom-centric, praying for other churches, praying for the work of missions, uh, praying for the uh, the gospel work in our communities, praying for other churches, praying as we're commanded to do, and we're commanded to do this, praying for leaders, uh, kings and leaders, asking the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. I mean, these are these are the Bible's own prayer requests. Yeah, and you're talking about the things that, that the Bible tells us to be praying, which we should be, and that was an excellent list, but you started out asking even about what we call preaching prayers. Right. And and and, and yeah, I, I think this is something we need to address. And I have a theory on this, by the way. Um, and what we're talking about is when a pastor stands, here's the scenario, a pastor stands up or somebody stands up to, to pray. And instead of praying those categories of either praise, confession, you know, supplication, you know, asking God for this and to intervene here, instead of praying that way, Half of our prayer is we're 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 preaching, we're right. we're we're teaching, we're we're saying things, but we're not we're not praying and asking God or acknowledging God in it. We're we're kind of just talking about whatever we think we're praying about. It can actually be deceptive if you don't know that you do this, and a lot of preachers do this. And here's my theory: because of this recovery of a high view of preaching. And expository preaching, which we both praise God for this, yes, right? I couldn't be more happy about that. I have a theory that the perfect storm of this massive recovery of expository preaching and the high view of preaching, but a lack of prayer leads to preaching prayers because we're not thinking about what does it actually mean to pray? Like you said, to seek God's face, to cry out to him as a corporate group. Instead, we're, we have this view, high view of always preaching. And so it... It infiltrates into the prayers, I think, and yes. that's why we actually that a lot of pastors actually, ironically, don't know exactly how to to pray in this way. They end up being very preachy and even being long prayers, which is not mm-hmm. necessary. So, I think what I want to advocate for, especially for pastors listening to this, is you know be self aware of how much do you preach in your prayers versus just just praying. You actually, you know, if you get accused of being incredibly long winded when you pray. You might want to check to see how much you're actually preaching when you right. pray, because that actually is is a connection a lot of times. That, and on top of that, then you're teaching your congregation that if prayer means I've got a, I'm basically preaching or teaching half of it. And again, it's not that bad things are being said. It's a lot of true. T- it's a lot of it's true things. Right. But it's not it's not the way we would understand biblical prayer, and that's my concern. So, Brian, let's talk real quickly about the worship service. And then maybe the idea of reestablishing, if you haven't yet, at least sometimes of corporate prayer or calling the church to prayer. Uh, Brian, in in many classic uh, Protestant Reformed churches, there will be actually a time in the service that's called the pastoral prayer. And some even used to call it the long prayer. So you talked about long prayers. Yeah. Um, we we used to do that. We have transitioned out of that. I, I don't know what your your circumstance or situation. We have a pastoral prayer every week in our church. Okay, so you lead. You do the leading. One of the one pastors. Of, one of the does. pastors does. And we did that. And I 
So maybe where did you get that, or or yeah. why? What's your what's your reasoning well, behind that? Well, I want to say this first that that uh, Mark Dever has been famously known to say that we should pray so much in our church services that unbelievers should be bored in our church services. Um, he's making a point there. I wouldn't go that far as to say that, but the point is is that our church services um, that we are on the right track. I think if. We look, if we give more time to prayer than usually the average church at this point. So one of the things that, and by the way, they don't have to be long prayers, but what we find is yeah. we have categories of prayers we have scattered throughout the service. So we have, we have a prayer of praise that is just dedicated to praise. We have a pastoral prayer. And one of the reasons I, I do that is, so, so that's, I'm answering the question based by saying yeah. I've learned of these categories and to spread them out through the service makes them digestible. I want to highlight on the other side of the music thing, one of the reasons that music is, gets played underneath prayers is that it helps people, some people, it, they are, here's the argument anyways, Jim, just stay with me. All right, I, I got the, you. The, the music helps people engage their affections in the prayer time in a way that's easier to do, uh, and it keeps them it keeps them more focused in what's being said. Whether that's true or not, people can argue. But I'm saying that that's one of the reasons that, that that's one of the, I think, good reasons that people are trying to do with that. But the pastoral prayer, I find, is a really important prayer to have because it it is a lot of times the longer prayer, but it's also usually led by a pastor. Right. So it's the shepherd bringing his unique knowledge of the needs of the congregation right. to them be, so that Aunt Millie's dog isn't just prayed for. The pastor is actually bringing things that they really believe are, the whole church needs to be praying about. And that, and then he can bring those needs, and that's where they they pray about it. There's something powerful, I think, about the shepherd praying, one of the shepherds mm. praying in that moment for the needs and crying yeah. out to God in a corporate environment. I think if you're listening to this and you desire to want to have more prayer in your service, if you're... I know pastors who want that, but they've gone into a church that's basically prayerless, right. and he doesn't know how to get it in the service. I, I, this is the one thing I tell everybody. It, put a pastoral prayer in. You pray it. You get to choose everything that gets prayed. Get people to give you things that you would want them to pray about, and and just add one prayer into the service and call it a pastoral prayer, and that you're the one that prays it. And it gives at least one slot, for lack of a better term, in a public gathering that allows for these needs specifically. So if you do pray, you know, praise or you're doing confession, a lot of times the needs of the church don't get prayed for in those mm-hmm. things. So I would advocate a pastoral prayer is particularly important because it's the one time you're able to bring needs. And by the way, if you have praise, you have confession, you have these different prayers, when, when I stand up to do a pastoral prayer, I can feel totally comfortable just launching in to the things I want to pray about. A lot mm. of times we, we feel we have to have all, you know, we, we have in our, in our heads this, I got to have praise, I got to have confession, I got to have these things in this prayer before mm. I can even ask for anything. Right. No, we've already done that. Just just launch into it. And I think mm. it makes it digestible when you spread it out and make them shorter prayers. Yeah, we should let our requests be made known to God. Yeah. And, and that's done, uh, obviously done in prayer. It, what we have sought to do, and again, I think there's a variety of ways that this can be worked out, and some do this more liturgically, and they have set aside a prayer of praise, perhaps at the beginning, uh, a prayer of supplication for God's blessing, and that happens at the very beginning. 
Uh, some will then have a time of an acknowledgement and confession of sin, and then the assurance of forgiveness. Yep, which uh, I like that, a lot that too. Comes yep. and then a time of petition, and again, where it may be that there are emergency matters that are brought up. Um, uh, you, there's someone's dying of cancer. There, we just got the news. There was a heart attack this morning of one of our beloved folk or there's a, a, a tough delivery of a baby coming and let's right. we're going to ask God's help uh, on that matter or the acknowledgement of things happening nationally or in our own city uh, at a particular time the praying for leaders praying for I, leaders I, an election praying, year, praying that, for yeah. other churches mm-hmm. uh, praying for missionaries praying for those those kinds of things and one thing that I was going to say Brian that we've changed a little bit is in in First Timothy, you know, Paul says in chapter three to Timothy, he says, "I write these things, uh, hoping to come to you. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how people ought to behave or must behave yeah. in the house of God." Yeah. And so you go back in that uh, in, into chapter two. One of the things he says, "I would that," and he, he says, "I would that the men pray." And there's a pl- that's plural. And so uh, we have sought to implement a way that not just one, not just the leader who's leading the worship would pray that others also have yeah. some opportunity to lift their voice. Yeah. Well, and, you, we would usually have actually a non-pastor leading the service uh, as a way of you know using somebody's gifts, training the guys that are thinking about training for ministry. But what we found in doing that, and then always having one of the pastors come do the pastoral prayer, there is a weightiness that comes mm-hmm. and sits. Even when mm-hmm. that one man comes and that's all he does, yeah. uh, it's almost like here's the sh- here's a shepherd who knows the needs and comes and prays corporately. It's really powerful uh, experience that pe- that we have in those moments. So maybe Brian, what we would encourage is to teach on this, uh, to teach on prayer. Yeah, and and then maybe seek counsel, read some older writers, or read some modern writers where their churches seem to have a, a grasp on this. Yeah. And and make this as a part of you know your reformation or restoration of what the church ought to be. Real quick, Brian, can we touch on whether or not to have a, a regular set aside corporate time of prayer outside yeah. of the Lord's Day worship. I uh, I recognize to some degree that's a tradition. Uh, it, it 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 came about um, at some time, but at some point it was it was a fairly widespread tradition among Baptist churches and other churches right. that yep. midweek uh, you gather together for prayer and recognizing you know, busyness of life and, and other things. It tended to be the least attended, uh, and, and I think the reason it was let go in so many places was not so much due to a theology that this wasn't important. It was due to congregational indifference. You think that's safe to say? Yeah, I, I think that um, well, I do think that obviously the the, the contribution to a, a lack of prayer is showing up in churches in different ways, and that that traditional time committed to prayer and that being phased out, I think is evi- certainly is evidence of that. But I also think it's a result of at least in many of the churches in the context I'm in in, in the SBC that it was typically Wednesday evening prayer time mm-hmm. had had really become just a joke and ineffective. Right. It wasn't a it wasn't a true prayer time. Right. And and so it it becomes people become indifferent to it because it just wasn't what it needed to be. It was it was part of 
the the process of of churches just becoming unhealthy and the what that looked like in the church. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that that's part of it. Uh, the other part of it is, um, yeah, I think there's there was a I think part of the tradition is that people were at church uh, more than they're at church now. So mm. it, it's a it's a for better or worse, it's a it's a pull, it's a grind to get church members to be at the church for multiple multiple services. So yeah, it, um, yeah. and so one of the things. So I would say that's this, an interesting question to talk about sometimes about why that is. That would I agree. I mean, because it's it's an interesting thing to think about because obviously you all I mean, in your church you have a strong Sunday evening service. You have a strong prayer service on Wednesday. Like, but you're like an anomaly now. Yeah, yeah, it and, is. And, and, it's, and it's... which I don't think is good, but I also think that, you know, you've been there a long time. You have established that. There's people there who've been there a long time that have established, and it's a part of the culture of your church. It is, yeah. And I'm finding as there's a lot of just churches, pastors coming and going and churches that are struggling that these are the things that, that get squeezed out. These are the things that uh, get changed in church. So even in hours, like I, you know, I, I want us to pray and I, I worked really hard actually to try to keep that mm. Wednesday evening. We actually ended up stopping the Wednesday evening every, every week because it just, regardless of what we did, it slowly just became right. hard for our church culturally. A yeah. um, lot of little kids, a lot of young families, people sure. with stuff on Wednesdays. Right. Uh, all those kinds of things. So we ended, but we didn't want to get rid of this. So we shifted it and actually tried to have a corporate prayer time on another at another time to try right. to accommodate. Yeah, and I think it, I think that can be wisely done. I don't, I'm not going to advocate that it has to be at any one time, but I would I would advocate that it needs to be one of the marks uh, that just as if you went to a church and there was no preaching, or you went to a church and there was no singing, you would say that's that's a strange. But we're, it's not as strange to be at a church and have there be no no prayer. No, nope. and, and we I think that needs to. We, we're at a desperate time uh, in the lives of our churches, yeah. and and believe that the answer to that is is going to be found in seeking the face of God and uh, crying out to Him more, not more, not having more gifts, not having yeah. more programs. So let's give a let's each give a final word on this because we could talk more a lot more about this, obviously. But but here's mine. The pattern of churches now seems to be to phase these things out. You're like you're talking about your church is unique in having a Wednesday evening prayer time, even a Sunday evening service, and so a lot of pastors have to are trying to figure out church life, and many of them don't have Sunday evening, don't have Wednesday evening now. If that is you, even more of a reason mm. to make sure prayer is a central part of your Sunday morning gathering. Absolutely. And by the way, when we when we made these changes. We had that same talk, and we said we need to make sure we're praying in our morning gathering in a ways we weren't before, because we're not gathering to pray in some of these other times. And right. so, I, I I think I would advocate as pastors are trying to listen to this conversation, trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this? Do I try to force a Wednesday evening prayer? Meeting? No, I don't think so. Start with pushing that and uh, pushing that envelope a bit in your Sunday morning. To pray more yeah. and to have more intentional prayer, start there. And again, I think the public gathering is where we teach our people how to pray and how to handle the Word of God. Mm. And we need to realize we are actually, we're not just having service and encouraging people to worship through these means. We're actually teaching people 
what role these things should have in, in their life. And so don't miss that prayer and how the word is handled and it's read and how it's preached. We are in teaching every week on that. So don't miss that. Final word on for you, Jim. Yeah, I've said some strong things, and and I certainly don't want this simply to be a, a thing where we, uh, I, anybody else, and to our congregations comes in and we browbeat people and and m- move them by shame. I do think that there ought to be a sense in which we do acknowledge that we have not sought his face as we should, but we want to make it the kind of thing that is where there's a delightful element to this, where this is a, a desirable uh, thing. And and then, you know, do try the Lord, see, seek the Lord and see if God may well, as, as we give ourselves more to prayer, if God doesn't indeed answer uh, in these ways with more of his presence and more of his power and perhaps beginning to see conversions and other things in our midst, let's, let's taste, taste and see that these yeah. things are good. That's good. One more thing I want to add on this, because there's a balance to this, I feel the need to say, that um, in the same way, I think preaching an hour and 15 minutes every week is generally unhelpful for most hearers, though some would say that's just showing a real strong commitment to preaching. If your service goes three hours um, because, and you're pray- because you want to be so committed to prayer that you're praying so much, I think there's a balance in what people can absorb and maybe maybe this is my either age or the fact that I am in this in America or whatever it is, but I do think there's a balance. I don't I don't want to lead my church in a way that I want to pray so much that unbelievers are bored, that you know immature Christians are bored because they should be able to pray this long. Well, okay, that's fine, but I I, I want to meet our church where they are. I want to find that balance of committing to these things, giving good time to them, pushing people to focus and engage. And yet realizing, knowing my flock and knowing what they can and can't handle, I don't want my kids to grow to hate prayer Yes, because we pray so much. They don't grasp yet you know, why this is good when, when it could be half as done and done well and it still be really yeah. fruitful. Well, so. yeah, boy, that's going to go down a whole other rabbit trail there, brother. Yeah, I know. But I, do, I do think we need to but help. We, I want train, to be- we need to train people think, yeah, so that they're not praying down rabbit trails, so that it's not Agreed. all. Agreed. We need to remember and need to train people that when you're praying, praying privately is one thing. Praying in public and leading people that's right. is another. And that takes a, a, a more refined skill to remember that. You need to, you're trying to direct the hearts and minds of people, and generally, yes, pithier prayers. Most of the prayers of the Bible are relatively brief. Yeah, the recorded prayers, and even our the the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayers, relatively brief. And it doesn't mean you're not really praying, just because it's uh, it, it, because it's briefer. But training people to pray in that way, I think, is a very helpful thing. Indeed. All right, let me pray for us and ask God to just help us all wade through this. Lord, we're grateful that we have full access to your throne of grace through Jesus and his mediating work. So we pray, Lord, that each of us as pastors and church leaders, that you would help us to know our flock and know how to lead them well, to teach them how to pray and seek your face and to do it fervently, and yet to know how to to pastor them well through that. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to maybe implement some of these things that we would want to but might ruffle some feathers in our church that you would help us to become praying people both publicly and privately and help us to lead that way we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.